exclusive podcast from Impact 89 FM. Bringing you sports from NBA to NHL to NFL and more. But more importantly, bringing you the full rundown on MSU Spartan Sports. We cover it all. Get us on the phone at 432-3893. And now, the Spartan Sports Wrap on Impact Exposure. Hey, what's going on, everybody? You are listening to the Spartan Sports Wrap here on the Impact 89 FM. I am Scott, your host. Pavel's not with us, as you might recall from last week. He's on a date tonight with uh, somebody he went down to a Red Wings game. He's watching the Wings take on the Blues. He's a huge Blues fan, so who knows? He might call in later and give us an update on the game. I hope not. The Wings haven't <laughs> been playing well. But we are joined back again with Alex Altman, the men's basketball reporter for the state news here on campus from Michigan State. How are you doing, Alex? I'm doing great, Scott. How are you? I'm I'm doing very well. You know, it's been a hectic day, but got here, got everything set, you know, ready to roll. Yeah, let's do it. And of course, after last night's game, I mean, you can't be anything but excited. No. Might as well jump jump right in on that. The Super Bowl, Super Bowl 43 last night. It's pretty much what everybody's talking about. The, the only problem I have with the Super Bowl is the next day, the only thing that's on ESPN is highlights of the Super Bowl. And I mean, I can I can see it once, and that's enough for me. I don't need it until yeah, 2 p.m. Yeah, highlights, and then the uh, analyst dissecting the Super Bowl in every way possible, comparing it to other Super Bowls. It's just a whole lot of Super Bowl stuff. And so, of course, and... what we're going to do is talk about the Super Bowl yeah, again. For those of you who haven't had enough, you're going to get our our takes on it, which, you know, that's tough tough for you. <laughs> we'll, we'll get to other stuff. I mean, we've got tough loss from Michigan State men's basketball team. can talk about and uh, a few other things. Hopefully we'll be joined by uh, Jamal. He was a common, common guest on the show last year with Dan Duggar, so faithful listeners might remember him. He works for Fox Sports Detroit now. He's... Pavel contacted him to get him in here to fill in, so hopefully he'll be joining us lately. We'll see what's going on there. What about the Super Bowl? Now, lots of people have said, and we were talking earlier, we hear it a lot, that this was the greatest Super Bowl ever. And I've heard lots of people say that, and we both agreed. And you said you saw it on uh, Around the Horn earlier today, that you need to remind people, it wasn't the greatest Super Bowl ever. It was the greatest fourth quarter right. of a Super Bowl ever. Because, I mean... in all honesty, the first three quarters of that was just boring. I mean, you have the the play that ended the first half, the interception return for a touchdown. That was easily the highlight of the first three quarters. Other than that, there wasn't really anything. And then finally, the fourth quarter, when the Cardinals went to a no huddle and they finally showed up, Larry Fitzgerald finally showed up, had the game that he did. And I was I was telling you, Alex, that. The place I was at, people were falling asleep in the third quarter. We actually left from where we were watching the game and came home, and I watched the fourth quarter just by myself. I mean, I could <laughs> yell as much as I wanted, so it was fine. But up until then, it wasn't that great. What was what was your take on well, it? Well, I mean, I, I couldn't agree more. The first three quarters were, were very boring. It actually reminded me a lot of last year's Super Bowl between the uh, the New York Giants and the New England Patriots, where the first three quarters were, were boring, not a whole lot going on, and then the fourth quarter, the... The David Tyree catch, the Plaxico Burris touchdown reception in the end zone, and then you know before that, New England had actually come down the field, and I think it was Randy Moss who had caught a touchdown to uh, put them up. So, uh, you know, back and forth action in that game, and in this game as well. I mean, the first three quarters were were pretty boring. I think you'd expect more offense in the first three quarters than uh, 
you know, out of an Arizona Cardinals team that, you know, has been was has just been electric throughout the, you know, the first three games in the postseason. And uh that fourth quarter though, man, that was that was one of the most exciting quarters of football I've seen in the Super Bowl, college football, high school football, at any level. That was that was great. Yeah, it was it was unbelievable. I mean, the final score ended up being twenty seven to twenty three. The Steelers won. But it wasn't wasn't quite that simple. I mean, the way it worked out. Okay, we said we said the interception return. We'll tell you a little bit more. James Harrison, the defensive player of the year, had one hundred yard interception return to end the second half. I mean, there was no time left on the clock, and it was just crazy. I figured that the Cardinals were going in for a touchdown. I I at least a field well, goal to tie it up. Line. Yeah, it was the score was ten seven. The Steelers were ahead, and the offense was kind of rolling, and all of a sudden Dick LeBeau, the defensive coordinator for the Steelers, who's just, he's basically the man who created the 3-4 defense, created the zone blitz. He sent one of his famous blitz packages. James Harrison dropped off. They ran a slant, and he just stepped right in, and their linebacker ran it all the way back, 100 yards. Nobody tackled him. They make a tackle there, half's over. It's just no no points. Either way, it's still 10-7. Right. And then, so the Steelers go up 17-7. Okay. Steelers add a field goal in the third quarter. They're up 13, 20-7. That's when we left. We figured we're just like, Steelers' defense is too good. They've held Larry Fitzgerald in check the whole time. I mean, Troy, Troy Palomalu, the safety all, all pro for the Steelers, he came up and he was I mean he was shading Fitzgerald the whole game. He couldn't do anything until that fourth quarter. Finally, Fitzgerald he gets hit. He scores two touchdowns in the fourth quarter to put him up. But this is after and on that one drive, the Cardinals it seemed like they were trying to give the game away before they started yeah. scoring. They had so many personal foul penalties. On the one field goal drive for the Steelers in the third quarter. They had three different personal foul penalties. One for a face mask, one for roughing the passer, which I don't really agree on, but it was called. And then another one for running over the holder. Now, have you ever seen a running I mean, over the holder? Not not, not since uh, John L. Smith coached the Michigan State Spartans. I've seen a play that stupid. I mean, I mean that was... Yeah, in a Super Bowl game, you know, at that juncture in the game when, you know, I mean, Arizona desperately needed a stop just to stay down by, the, you know, at least two scores... That was one of the most boneheaded plays I've ever seen out of an all-pro guy, Adrian Wilson. I thought I thought it looked like he got pulled down a little bit. He was off balance, but he still just demolished their yeah. holder. It looked like he could have swerved a little bit. And so after that, it's first down, automatic first down. Somehow the defense was able to step up and still hold them to a field goal. Then the fourth quarter rolls around, and Larry Fitzgerald, they're driving. I said before, the Cardinals went into a no-huddle. So they were running, spread everybody out, started moving the ball finally. Seven and a half minutes left in the game. Warner finally hits Fitzgerald for a touchdown. So he ties Jerry Rice's record for touchdowns in a, in a single playoff. And it was an amazing catch. It was about it was from the one-yard line, a fade to the right corner. I mean, Ike Taylor was the cornerback on the play, 6'1". He's a tall, very right. tall for a corner. Larry Fitzgerald, 6'3", he just went up and got the ball. I mean, he's the best receiver in the NFL at grabbing the ball at the highest at, at the highest point. He he, take, he grabs that ball at the apex, and he brings it down. His hands are so soft, and he's so acrobatic in the air. 
I mean, that, that play, he makes it look so easy, and that is just the degree of difficulty on that catch is so impossible to understand unless you're actually there. I mean, it's almost matched by uh, the catch later in the yeah. game. But then, so the Cardinals get the ball back eventually, They uh, and they're forced to punt. They can't get anything going. The Cardinals have to punt. But James Harrison, the defensive player of the year, the man who returned that interception, which at this point is the play of the game, mm-hmm. he just had one of the dumbest plays I've seen. You said running over the holder for an all-pro. They matched it. They're all-pro. He was in on the punt block. Like he, They were trying to set up a return. And I'm not even sure what they were trying to do. The punt was downed at the two-yard line. I mean, it was a fantastic play by the... Cardinals to down the punt, mm-hmm. but they showed the replay. There's a personal foul called. James Harrison's blocking his man, gets him down on the ground, and kind of holds him down, takes a little bit of a cheap shot on him then, kind of lets him up, and then just almost punched, punched him or kind of shoved him backwards, draws a 15-yard penalty. Surprised that he wasn't really ejected from the game for throwing a shot like that. So then I thought I got really excited because I was, I was rooting for the Cardinals. I, I picked them to win. I was hoping that they would... They would pull through, but they ruled that it was after the kick, so therefore the possession had changed, so it didn't give the Cardinals a first down, but it moved the ball back half the distance to the goal. So really, it wasn't that big of a penalty. It was basically a one-yard penalty. Well, that put them that much closer to the goal line. They, the Cardinals almost got a safety. They almost stopped the running back. I don't, I mean, just sheer will and effort by the running back, got the ball out of the end zone. I, it was an amazing play on second down. Third down rolls around. Ben Roethlisberger hits Santonio Holmes for a 20-yard pass. I figure game's over. I mean, there's not much time left on the clock at this point. Mm-hmm. And it's a first down. All they have to do is run out the clock. There's a little over two minutes. Well, the Cardinals send a blitz on that, and it looked like there was holding somewhere, but I didn't ever see a flag. Turns out they called a hold on the center. Holding in the end zone in the NFL in any league is a safety. So, after safety, you get two points. Cardinals get the ball back. Now, this is when Larry Fitzgerald came through, finally. Before this, throughout the whole playoffs, he'd only scored touchdowns in the first half. All five of his touchdowns before were in the first half. I'm not sure if it was on second down or when it was, but they ran a little crossing route, hit Fitzgerald, and he just took off. I don't. It was the first time the defense... For the Steelers, had done. they didn't have a safety back in the right. middle covering for that. And once he caught that, he was gone. I mean, just took off up the field for, what was it, a 60-yard 60, 60 touchdown, 64-yard touchdown. And that put the Cardinals up, 23-20. to 20. What what were your thoughts when that happened? What's going through your head? I mean, well, first of all, my, my thought was, you know, they, they sent Palomalu on a blitz, and Fitzgerald just was able to get, you know, get up and slant right through the middle and... Yeah, that 64-yard touchdown pass was really cool because he was looking at himself on the on the jumbotron, and uh, they got a good shot on that on NBC, who actually called a pretty good game, I thought. And I mean, after that, you're, you're, I'm thinking the first thing that I thought was they left too much time on the clock. They left too much time for Pittsburgh to come back down the field, and you know Pittsburgh had all their timeouts in tow, and they took advantage of them, and they still had, I believe, what, 237 left, and. I'm thinking, all right, Ben Ben Roethlisberger has been a master at this throughout his career. He's played a great game. He's got some receiving threats around him. And uh, I I truly did think that they were going to march down the field and score right there. But after that holding call on first and 10, made it first and 20, 
Didn't really know what was going to happen, but just made uh, you know Roethlisberger's effort that much more impressive. Ben Roethlisberger was unbelievable. No, yeah. I mean, there's there's no way about it. You can you cannot like the way he plays, and lots of people don't like the way he plays because it's not pretty. He's not flashy by any means. He's a he's a Pittsburgh Steelers quarterback. Exactly. You know, not flashy. He's a greedy guy, and the improv in the pocket, the way he was kind of bouncing around, going left to right to left. We were talking about that before the show. Like he's got eyes in the back of his head and the side of his head. He just he knew where every single defender was in that football field. And made plays that were simply unbelievable, especially in the last two minutes when plays are breaking down. And you know he must have been gassed because you know they were running no huddle. And I mean, just you can't say enough about the job that he did on that drive. Unreal. And it was amazing that last drive. It, it turned out to be just unbelievable. This is where the Steelers won the game. Obviously, it was the last drive. And Santonio Holmes became Roethlisberger's favorite receiver. And Holmes has always been kind of their big threat play. He's their speed guy. Mm -hmm. Heinz Ward is their tough guy. They send him through the middle. And Heinz Ward was playing hurt. He didn't really do a lot in the whole game. But Santonio Holmes, who ended up being the Super Bowl MVP, he basically won that award on this last drive. He caught four passes for 73 73 yards on this drive. And one for a touchdown. And the touchdown was one of the best catches I've seen in a long time. It was probably the most impressive part is, I think it was on second down, he caught it. On first first and goal, he had one go right through his hands. It would have been a very, very hard catch. It was thrown mm-hmm. to the back left corner of the end zone. He was up in the air at a turn, tried to get his feet down, but... The ball went right through his hands. It was unbelievable. And he said he was on different shows today, and he said that after that happened, he thought that he just lost the Super Bowl for him. He figured there's no way he just lost his chance. And he had told Ben Roethlisberger that he wanted to be the guy who made the plays. He knew that he had it in him, and he wanted to be the one that Roethlisberger was throwing to. So sure enough, the next very next play, they go right back to him, and they throw a fader out to the back right corner, switch sides, and there were three Cardinal defenders right there. Safety, and two corners, or maybe, I'm not even sure who it was, but the ball was thrown perfectly. It well, came down. funny thing is, Roethlisberger, after the game, actually thought that he threw an interception. He was, he was telling Boomer and uh, the gang at ESPN after the game that when he threw that ball, when that went out of his hands, he thought that it was going to be picked. There were three defenders there. I mean, but he actually did throw that ball pretty well. I mean, he threw the ball. That's the only place where San Antonio Holmes could have caught it. And, I mean, the catch... I'm sure I'm just recapping for everybody who anybody who's listening to this obviously is watching. I mean, 42% of the nation is watching the game, but the skill that that shows not only Roethlisberger throwing that ball that just barely made it over the defenders and it somehow came down at the perfect spot where Holmes could catch it with his toes just barely down in the corner, full extension, and there was absolutely no doubt that he had possession of that the entire time. That's the thing. Usually when plays are reviewed like that, usually receivers get their hands on it, kind of bring it down, and then get possession. He had he had a catch as soon as the ball hit his hands. It was locked in, and he knew that he had both toes down. He wasn't, there was never any question about that. And after that, there was, what, he did that with, what, 30-some seconds left, I think. 35, I think. Somewhere around there. So there's still a chance. They have two timeouts also, Arizona. Right. Arizona has two timeouts. I mean, they've got Kurt Warner. They've got receivers who can catch. Larry Fitzgerald, at this point, has 
two touchdowns already, over 100 yards again. So you think, you know, maybe they can get another drive. They get the ball up to around the 40-yard line, right around midfield. And Warner drops back. There's about time for two more plays, two basically, basically two Hail Marys. And he drops back, and he's rolling around trying to find somebody, and he's got pressure on him. Lamar Woodley, um, an outside linebacker for the Steelers who went to Michigan, he got pressure on Warner after about four seconds and finally was able to get to him and hit him as he was starting to throw. Got to make that distinction. He wasn't quite throwing. He was beginning to throw. Mm -hmm. And the ball came out, and... Uh, the Steelers recovered with five seconds left. All they had to do was take a knee. Surprisingly, that play wasn't reviewed. Every other play, every other big play in that game was reviewed. I mean, obviously, it's a Super Bowl. It decides a championship. But Brandon was in here earlier, just before we came on, and he was saying how he knew right away that it was a fumble, and he was arguing with me that, because I said, I thought, at first when I saw it, I thought it was an incomplete pass. And I'm still not quite sure. I mean, they've said that they did look at it and they decided it wasn't reviewable. Or it was reviewable that it didn't need one because the ball came out before the arm started to come forward. What What did you think on that? Well, I, I mean, I'm not going to dispute that it was a fumble, but I think the very fact that we're having this conversation means that it should have been reviewed. Even if there's a sliver of doubt... There's, and the play should be reviewed. In the last two minutes, it automatically goes up to the booth. And I mean, yeah, I mean, even if it, even if that play was overturned, Arizona is at the 50 yard line, a hail mary pass. You know, that, that's the only way you're going to win the game. But I mean, you still got to at least review that because maybe, maybe it wasn't a fumble. Maybe they would have. Maybe it was like the tuck rule in the New England and Oakland game. Maybe there's some kind of hidden rule in the in the rule books that no one knows about. And you know, whatever. And it is it is what it is. But you know, at the same time. I, I was really surprised they didn't review that, and I'd be kind of feel like I was shortchanged if I were an Arizona Cardinals fan. Um, but you know, what, what, what can you do? I really thought that the game was refereed pretty well, especially considering not only the magnitude of the game, but that was a pretty scrappy game. There was a lot of extracurricular stuff going on, and you know, I, I, you really can't blame the referee at all for the, the, the referee the, for the game that he called. And uh, I, I thought that maybe was a little bit of a, a mistake not to review that at the end, but you know. Right. I Whatever. Mean, if they said that it's a fumble, and, or, and they they claim that they reviewed it, the I mean the NFL review staff, the official there, they said that they looked at it and determined that there was no review necessary. So that's all that I need. I I trust them. I they mm-hmm. had a better look at it than I did. Once once that play happened, I basically stopped watching because I knew that all they had to do was take a knee and the game was over, and I didn't feel like watching the whole celebration necessary necessarily but i was still a little surprised then the thing is that i mean you said the cardinals fans should be a little short changed and uh, possibly but that game they put up such a fight i mean they have the cardinals for being and i remember when we were we were coming back to my apartment after the third quarter and i said i was like well that just goes to show finally the cardinals who were the worst playoff team ever worst worst super bowl team i mean technically record wise and giving up the most points they it finally caught up to them because at that point they were playing horribly and then the way that they were able to step up and come back and just fight for that game was very impressive i was i mean the cardinals fought so hard and they had a great season no matter how you look at it 
And lots of people, the question here, I mean, Kurt Warner, we'll go over some of the stats here. Kurt Warner had an amazing game. I mean, he could have easily been the MVP or Larry Fitzgerald if the Cardinals win it. I mean, Warner went 31-43 for 377 yards, three touchdowns, and one interception. The interception, obviously, was the one that was returned for a touchdown. Roethlisberger didn't have a bad game. He was 21-30 of 30 for 256, a touchdown, the game-winning touchdown, and an interception. The interception was tipped at the line, and a linebacker caught it. Fitzgerald ended up with 127 yards catching and two touchdowns. Then the MVP, as we mentioned, Santonio Holmes had nine catches, 131 yards and a touchdown. Now, the question that I've heard being posed a lot, and you know, I haven't, I haven't really come to a decision on it, is Kurt Warner a Hall of Fame quarterback? You know what? Long, I think he is. He, he, he the longevity um, that he has isn't really comparable to a lot of other Hall of Fame quarterbacks. But I believe three MVPs, two Super Bowl rings, and not only that, but one, he's one Super Bowl ring. I'm sorry, they lost just to the Patriots. That's right. Okay, one Super Bowl ring, and the way he's been an ambassador, I think, for the game. Really, he's been one of the great guys in the NFL. Um, a guy that you, uh, you know, the guy that you kind you you want to lead your team now. It would have been nice if he played for another five years, but I think his story, the fact that he was working at a grocery store, and I don't really know if that should be taken into consideration when deciding whether he's in a Hall of Fame-type player. But if he plays for another year, maybe two more years, adds a few more, maybe six, 700 yards to his resume, adds more touchdown passes, and you know maybe wins a Super Bowl. Who knows? At least leads the Cardinals to the playoffs, and I think... At that point, it would be a guarantee. I think if he won the Super Bowl yesterday, it would have been a guarantee. I think right now he's kind of knocking on the door. Um, and I, I think I think he is, though. I think what he's done and how impressive he's been, I think he does have Hall of Fame credentials. I think there's a few things to take take in mind here. With his numbers and the way that he played, he was not the reason that the Cardinals lost the Super Bowl. No, if, no, not at all. If that last drive, if Ben Roethlisberger doesn't put that drive together at the end, he just won that Super Bowl. And that's something where it's like, yeah, he technically he lost this Super Bowl. It doesn't count for him. And that's a lot of people will look at that, that he'd lost two Super Bowls. He only won one. He, the way he played, would have won the Super Bowl. That's one thing to remember. He got there. The defense kind of let up. He threw that costly interception, but it's more the Steelers won it from him because he led a drive with late in the fourth quarter. He did everything he could. The other thing that I think lots of people are going to think about are lots of voters, and I'm not sure if NFLs like Major League Baseball, they're very picky. I remember Kurt Warner as more of an arena football guy. Like that's just that's kind of where he comes from he's not necessarily the arena league but the style that he has the way that he got his start he wasn't your typical come right out of college make it into the pros he was one of those he was basically the new era of quarterbacks who were coming from nowhere and i'm not sure if that will help him or if that will hurt him. well i think that will probably hurt him the fact that he was kind of a, maybe a product of the mike martz offense in st louis and I mean, John Kinnon threw for 4,000 yards in Mike Martz's offense. So, you know, you never, you can't really put too much stock in, I guess, what he does. But, I mean, just looking at his stats, and, I mean, hasn't really thrown a lot of interceptions over his career. He's been an MVP. He's been a Super Bowl champion. He's been a great ambassador for the game. And, I mean, he's just an all-around, you know, a great guy. And I don't know if 
people take personality into a, into account unless they've been like a, a huge detriment to the league. But uh, you know, it's it's very iffy right now, and I guess I'd have to see who else is on the ballot. But um, just looking at his stats throughout his career and what he's done and the way he's conducted himself, and I'd have to say that he probably is a Hall of Fame quarterback. You know, I I'd, I'd have to agree. I he's had a few rough years after. The end of his career in St. Louis, he, I mean, he had a few down years. He went to New York. He wasn't quite, quite on the ball there. But his good outweighs the bad. Absolutely. Sure. I mean, there's there's no doubt about it. And like you said, if he had three more years that he played, then I think it would he'd be one of the top five quarterbacks in the league right now. Not to say that he isn't close, but and then he's a free agent after this year. Now he's a free agent, so he could very well play next year play do something hopefully it doesn't turn into a Brett Favre type situation uh, I don't think it will he's a totally different type of player now the other quarterback Ben Roethlisberger he's still very young this was his fifth season but he is the winningest quarterback in history through five seasons he's won the most games right in the regular season he's now won two Super Bowls I mean in this guy his stats aren't impressive he I mean, there's games where he's thrown it seven times. It's he wins games though. That's that's what he does. That's all you gotta do as a quarterback, man. Just now, win games. I don't know. I mean, Hall of Fame for him is still a little ways away. Two rings really is really good to put on your resume. Mm-hmm. And probably if he stays in Pittsburgh, he's gonna get to the playoffs again because this team. I mean, they they just won their sixth Super Bowl in franchise history. They are. They've been now to eight. They are one of the best teams in history. One, one of the best franchises. They're. They seem to always be good. Say at this point, they're one of the best franchises in, in all of pro sports. I mean, right. six rings in the NFL and a league that's based on parity. I mean, that is unbelievable. And what he's been able to do in five years, two rings. I mean, you know that he'll get more. I mean, they'll be in the playoffs next year and the year after that. And. I mean, they, they, they've st- they've got some young talent on that team. They always seem to just plug players into the system who contribute both on offense and defense. And you know, their offensive line this season was considered a question mark. A lot of people thought that would it would kind of be the reason they did not make. If if they didn't make the playoffs, they thought that the offensive line was going to be that reason. And the offensive line got better. I mean, every single part of that team, from the defensive line to the offensive line to you know, each unit on the defense and offense is, is unreal. And, you know, that they draft well, great ownership. Mike Tomlin is a terrific young coach. And I think if they continue to win, I don't think there's any doubt that Roethlisberger will be in the Hall of Fame one year. Not a doubt. Definitely. And to speak of that, they they draft guys. They Not even just drafting, just the way they acquire guys. James Harrison, yeah. undrafted. He's from Kent State. Kent State in the MAC. I mean, MAC produces quarterbacks. That's what they do. And this guy, he was cut by three different NFL teams. Somehow he comes to Pittsburgh, gets put in the right situation, gets the right coaches, gets the right training going on. He's Defensive Player of the Year, one of the best defensive player this year. That's what great scouts can do for you. I mean, the Lions should take notes. I mean, you don't need to draft guys who are who grade out 98, 99s like Mel Kuyper and Todd McShay. Like quarterbacks from USC. US, every single player who's ever played for USC. You need players who are just going to kind of fit into a system. Like I remember there's one guy, I think Clint Sessions, and a linebacker for Indianapolis, guy who was undrafted. I think he actually played for, no, not, not Clint Sessions. There's another guy, Buster Davis, who played for the Lions for a little bit. And 
you know, went undrafted, and we, I think, ended up cutting him, and Indianapolis picked him up because they saw something in him. They knew that he would fit in that system, and that's what great teams are able to do. They're able to acquire. They don't, they don't see, like, the players who, like, you know, win these awards in college. They see guys who have potential to fit into a system and who are tailored for that system, and then they, they, they acquire them, and they give them some time. They don't force them into in the limelight. They 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 go through the progressions, and they become great players. And that that's what's made Pittsburgh such a success over the years. And, the ability to do that. And you said earlier that just Ben Roethlisberger, he is Pittsburgh Steelers. Mm-hmm. I mean, he is the only option for them at quarterback, essentially. I mean, not to say they don't have other guys who can play, but he just fits. That's You know that that city loves him. He loves that city. He's that style of a guy, hardworking, just big, tough guy. Now, the question that I have here is who would you want more as your quarterback not not to say if you're starting a franchise, nothing like that. Not to say for like to sign to a five year deal or anything. Who do you want more? Say just this next year, Kurt Warner or Ben Roethlisberger for the Lions? For the for, Lions? For the Lions? Oh, I, I think there's no doubt that it's it's Ben Roethlisberger. Just because the way the ability to create plays that he has, his moxie, his leadership. I mean, players love playing for him, and just he has that ability to create. And Kurt Warner, as good as he is, he's never really been in an offense that has required him to do much other than throw the ball downfield. And I mean, that's not to, that's not to take away what he's been able to do, but I think Ben Roethlisberger is is less of a product of Pittsburgh's offense that you know Kurt Warner. You know, whereas Kurt Warner is maybe a product of Arizona Cardinals offense, Ben Roethlisberger, you know, is just a great quarterback because you see what he's able to do when he improvises and throws the ball downfield and runs for first downs and, you know, just I would say Ben Roethlisberger and I take him in a heartbeat. All right, now I want to open this up to people who are listening out there. I'd love to hear what everyone has to say. Not necessarily just that option of Kurt Warner or Ben Roethlisberger. I don't know that I'd take Roethlisberger. I might take Warner for Mm. the Lions. I'd like to hear what other people think. Who would they would want out of any quarterbacks in the league right now? If we could just pick somebody just somehow acquire them, who do they want to be the quarterback of the Detroit Lions for this upcoming season? It could be Peyton Manning. I I personally like Peyton Manning. It could be an injury-free Tom Brady. Who knows? The number here is 432-3893. Who do you want running the, running the helm of the Detroit Lions? Again, 432-3893. We're going to move on just a little bit, but don't don't be afraid to call in and give us your opinion there. I'd still love to hear what you have to say. Now, of course, along with the Super Bowl comes commercials. Do you have any any favorites there, Alex? It's hard. To, it's hard to watch the commercials, unfortunately. And I actually recorded the game so I could go back and watch <laughs> them all after. And you know, all these blog sites they get them all up. But when you're watching with a big group of people who are screaming and exactly. clamoring the entire game, it's kind of hard to watch them. But I do recall seeing a funny Doritos commercial. I believe it was where someone threw a some kind of office appliance <laughs> through the vending machine, and nice. that was funny, but I don't really have a basis for comparison. So that was a great commercial, and I'm sure there are more out there that I'll definitely sink my teeth into later tonight right. on my DVR. I, for, I forgot, uh, during parts of it, I forgot that to not leave the room during commercials mm-hmm. is just ingrained in yeah. me yep. to go get a drink, go use the bathroom, go grab a snack, do something, and then I'd come running back. I was like, oh, man, I just missed a commercial. But, I mean, there are a couple. DVR, though. Ex- yeah, I don't, I don't have that. I'm not Uh-oh. that technologically advanced. Oh, I'm you're sorry. Gonna have to, you're going to have to. I think, aren't they uh, they're making everyone shift to uh, to 
to analog pretty soon, aren't they? Well, digital, digital, I should say. Digital, wow. See, I'm not very technologically See, savvy either. Nope, I'm set. I'm not – maybe maybe my grandparents still have the bunny ears, but, oh, okay. but I, I should be okay for that. But I know insurance. They have the talking babies with their commercials. Those are great. Those are always fun, especially when they add someone in singing Take These Broken Wings. It's humorous. Uh, Anything with physical comedy basically gets me to laugh. So the Doritos with the uh, crotch shot. How about those uh, those Big Daddy? Not Big Daddy, those... GoDaddy. The GoDaddy.com commercials every year. They just got... Like they do as much as they can. Flaunting every single part of their body. As much as they can without being... Censored or funny thing is those commercials away. never make any sense, but they have them on there anyway because you know that they will elicit attention. And, and so you remember it's the beauty of marketing. And I, remember. I remembered. Now, did you see that one commercial that was actually banned? It was it was a, a commercial that PETA was trying to run, and it was just a completely like unadulterated, like like lewd advertisement. Uh, I don't know. It, it was on. I, I saw it on uh, on one blog site and. Uh, it actually got banned at the last second. They weren't allowed to put it up because it was too risque. But, huh. uh, yeah, I don't know. I didn't know if you had caught it by nope, chance. But There's always it was pretty some, interesting. They come out. Yeah. Probably this week, they'll all come out, all the ones that were banned and things like that. But it's always fun to watch. My sister called me shortly before I came on and was talking to her. And, of course, we talked about the game. She's a big sports fan. But then she was itching to ask me about commercials and which one was my mm-hmm. favorite. And I think I'd have to go with... Uh, the uh, Pepsi Max, I think it was, had a good one. Like I said, the physical comedy, the one where everyone's getting hurt, a bowling ball out to the head. One guy's got his hand in a light socket, and they turn the power on. Always good. I like seeing people get hurt. It's I think just... Coke had a, had a commercial, too. I think maybe it was Coke Zero with, with Troy Palomalu that was supposed to be like the, the Mean Joe Green commercial, the, the famous ones from uh, you know back, back in the 80s, I believe. And you know Mean Joe Green was considered one of the most, I mean, just a uh, flat-out one of the most mean like devilish characters in, in the in the game, and they remade that commercial with Troy Palomalu, which was pretty funny. Well, yeah, definitely. There will be websites that have those up, and I know the state news always has an article. We've got a great advertising department here, in at Michigan State, and I know there was something I didn't get a chance to read it, but they always run just review of the commercials. They get into the more analytical mm-hmm. and deciding. I I more just I have to agree with one of my friends who as soon as he saw the. One commercial, I don't even know what it was for. There were chimpanzees on it, and he just started laughing. Not monkeys Didn't even funny. know what it was, but anything with monkeys or apes or chimps, yep. it's funny. That's all that matters. And, you know, that's that's a good thing. Keeps keeps everybody involved. But then there's another thing. I'll transfer here. The place we were watching had two TVs going, and one had the Super Bowl on, and one we actually were watching the replay of the Australian Open final between Roger Federer and Rafael Nadal. Now, I'm not sure, Alex, are you big into tennis? I, I'm, I'm not. I, I like tennis, and I respect the game a lot. And I saw the highlights from the Rafael Nadal and uh, the match with him, and I, I forgot who he was playing in the semifinals. When Fernando Verdasco. That's four or five hours, and that was an amazing match. And I was actually, a few of my friends uh, back in my house stayed up late that, late that, I think it started at 3.30 in the morning. 3.30 and Sunday I was, morning. I was going to, but I had a girlfriend that needed to go to bed, and... You know, I, I she wouldn't let me stay up to watch it. I guess I'm I'm kind of whipped. It but was, <laughs> I I, I would have though. I would have. It was my goal. I was trying. I was trying to stay up and watch it. But three o'clock rolled around, and we had it was a noon game when we played Penn State on Sunday. Made it really tough for me to be able to. I ended up going to bed, but I was able to watch it there, and it was an instant classic for anybody who likes tennis. I enjoy the sport. I I like pretty much all sports. We don't get a chance to talk about them much. I mean. 
I like to watch tennis. I said I think I said it last week. Brandon and I always talk tennis, but it just there's no room to talk about it. I like tennis, but I'm also one of those guys who enjoys watching soccer. So, you know, I like all sports, but for anybody who doesn't even know much about the sport, it was just the shot making was unbelievable. And the fact it went to five sets, which is the most you can go. It went five hours and Rafael Nadal won. I mean, he beat Federer. He just has his number. He's the number one player in the world, no doubt about it anymore. And just the way that they are able to stay in the match and physically run all over the place and do so many things that long into it in that kind of heat. Earlier in the week, it got up to 142 degrees Fahrenheit that they were playing in. That's just... I think that was the, with, with the Andy Roddick match, yeah. right? Yeah, no. Roddick versus Djokovic. I couldn't believe it, and they are playing in it. And I'm just thinking, you know, it's hot at about 85, 90 when you're running around. 144, 142, 144, it's ridiculous. And, like you said, in the semis, Nadal went another five sets, another five hours. He had just played one of the longest matches. Can you, you can only imagine how cramped up his legs must have been and stuff. And I mean, you you think it's hard for a, an NBA player to play, you know, the back end of a doubleheader or two, I mean, two games in a row. Can you imagine what Nadal was going through with those players? Two two straight. I mean, five five sets on two consecutive days. That's that's unreal. Just physically unbelievable yeah. how fit he is. And just, they're amazing athletes, both of them. But he won. He's number one. Serena Williams won on the women's side. I didn't really watch much of that. She won in straight sets. She's now number one in the world. I've never been a huge fan of Serena Williams. Neither one of the Williams sisters. Just not not really a huge fan. But we got that in. Wanted to get to that. Now, of course, your specialty, one of my favorites, Pavel's favorite, if he was here. MSU basketball, Big Ten basketball in general. That was tough. Oh, that was that, was, that was a bad game. I mean, what can you say about that other than the fact that Penn State hit a lot of three-pointers that probably should not have gone in, and, I mean, that really kind of dug MSU into a hole. And so, you know, when you have teams hitting 35-foot three-pointers off the glass, 10 of them, they had 10 three-pointers that game Penn State did, you're not going to win many times. And for those who didn't get a chance to see it, Michigan State lost 72-68 to to Penn State yesterday. And it was at home, in Breslin. Two losses in a row at home now. And the thing is, it's the first time... Okay, so last week we lost to Northwestern at home. Broke our 28-game win streak. We turn around and lose one again. Now, it's bad enough just to have it broken by Northwestern. But then to lose two in a row and have it be Penn State... Granted, Penn State is very good this year. They're a very surprising team. They're ranked number 29. Technically not ranked, but Mm -hmm. they're... Very close to being in the top 25. But the teams we've lost to before were Greg Oden's Ohio State team and the Darren Williams... Uh, Illinois team. Yeah, yeah. Illinois with... D. Brown. D. Brown, yeah, exactly. Had and all those That's guys. the one I was waiting for. And, I mean, we in the years past, it's always been battles. And we've had great battles against Wisconsin here when they've been Final Four teams. And to lose against two teams that are usually pretty close to the bottom, it's pretty disappointing. The last time, I looked it up, the last time we lost two straight conference games was in 96-97. We lost to Illinois and to Michigan. The last time we've lost just two straight home games was the season 
the next season, 1997, we lost to Temple in Detroit. Yeah, yikes. That, that would have been ugly to be around yeah. then. That, I mean, there was mentions at the press conference. People were trying to figure out what it was. And somebody kind of said, oh, yeah, it was Temple in Detroit. And I laughed. I was like, there's no way that we lost two straight games at home to Temple and U of D. Yeah, it's hard and, to believe. I mean, sure enough, I I went back and I looked at all the uh, schedules and it was those two teams. But, I mean, can't really take too much away from Penn State. They hit shots that were unbelievable. I mean, Taylor Battle, their point guard, is just amazing. He had 29 points and that was he didn't even score the last seven and a half minutes of the game. I thought for sure he was going to break Coble's 31 that he scored on us, but he ended up with 29 Penn State shot 56.3% from the field, which is just unheard of. I mean, that's... Especially for a team that really relies on the perimeter, on, on the three-point shot to oh, shoot yeah. 56.3%. It says it all right there. And they were 10 of 20 from three. You mentioned they hit a lot. I mean, they were just... Everything was going in for them. And like I said, Battle had 29 points. Jamal Cornley, they're huge. He's only 6'5", but he's 6'5", 245. He's a big 6'5". Oh, he's, he's, he's a monster. huge. Scored 16. Nobody from state did too much until Kalen Lucas. He finally, he he's stepped up this season. There's He is the leader of that team now. He scored 23, did everything that he could to will us back into that game. And I think Coach Izzo said it perfectly. Lots of people will look at it down the stretch. We had a chance to tie the game. Kalen Lucas was at the line, and he missed a free throw. And he had hit the first one, missed the second. And lots of people look at it as, oh, well, that we're down one point. That lost it. He was 8 of 9 from the line for the day. Granted, tough situation. You'd hope he makes it. 8 of 9 is fantastic. That's better than his average right now, I think. Better than anybody on the team's average. It's a good day from the line. And he said... We lost that game in the last seven minutes of the first half. Seven minutes left until halftime. And that's when we had a 13-point lead on them. I think we were up. We were up 13. 13, was it? 29 to 16, somewhere around there. I'm not sure yeah, exactly what it was. roughly. And then going into halftime, I remember they had the ball with 32 seconds left in the half. And I turned to Pavel, and I asked, you just go... Do we do we go into halftime with the lead? We are up two at that point. He says yes. I didn't agree. I figured I figured that Battle Battle had the ball in his hands. All he did was just dribble, let the clock run down, one on one from about thirty five feet, just stop and just took a jumper, nailed it. Rate is basically time expired. I mean, they were hitting shots that you wouldn't defend against in a game of horse. I mean, that's how crazy they were. And it was very reminiscent of the Northwestern game because, I mean, there's really no way to guard against that. I mean, it's disheartening. And, and as a defense, when you're, when you're allowing, when, when your, your opposition is hitting shots like that, I mean, that's extremely disheartening. And you're not really sure how to react to that. I mean, do you, do you step outside and defend those shots and, you know, extend your defense out to the perimeter? Or do you just let them continue to take those shots? I mean, it's, it's really perplexing. And for a coach, I'm not sure what you do in that situation. But other than hope you don't make those shots, I mean, I guess, I mean, if, if you, Pavel, and a couple of other guys, you know, had to play five on five against them and were launching shots from half court and they were going in, I mean, I guess we could win a game. But, you know, it doesn't always happen like that. I think it's a combination of 
being unlucky and a combination of taking teams for granted, not stepping on the accelerator when you have a lead. Definitely. Not, I mean, stomping on the opposition's throats, and that's not what this team has been doing in the past. They they need to develop that, that killer mentality. They don't have that yet. They have the ability to get up by a lot of points, and you know they've shown that they have the ability to win late games, but... I mean, this they never should have been in that situation. So it's impossible to blame Lucas for this one. You oh, know, yeah. he could have made that free throw, but you know he could have made that pull up at the end of the game with seven seconds left. But he didn't. I mean, that was a contested shot. I mean, it was the rush shot, a low percentage shot. And bottom line is, we should never have been in that position. And so, and we fought back. I mean, we're talking the killer mentality. You're talking wasn't the end of the game. It was the end of the first half. We got up big and then just kind of glided, stopped defending, like you said, and they started hitting shots. Then, then of course, then we got down by 12. There's 6:54 left in the game. We're down 68 to 56. Penn State didn't score. They only scored one point after that until 11 seconds left in the game. And we mounted a big comeback. We still, they only scored one point, but we weren't able to do enough. They went one for eight from the Mm. line down the stretch. Penn State did. They did everything possible to give that game away. I mean, Cornley went to the line in, I think it was a one and one, and he's not a good free throw shooter. He's shooting about 60% on the season. And I said, I was just like, we have to get this rebound. He misses. He got his own rebound. And it was just things like that were just killing us. And we could not make threes down the stretch throughout the entire game. We went 5 for 20. And, I mean, Darrell Summers, who's been playing very well the last two games, went 1 for 8 from three-point land. Chris Allen wasn't much better going 1 for 5. So it was very tough. We had some okay looks towards the end. Shot a 3 when I thought they were going to go for 2. I thought Kalen Lucas was going to drive. That was our the game plan. The defense shifted like they didn't expect, apparently. Shot a three, missed. It was just a tough game. We had a chance to win it, but we didn't deserve to win that game. I mean, no. we were we were just out of it. We did out-rebound them by five. It wasn't, wasn't as big of a margin as we've had. And it wasn't like we were turning the ball over too much. They had more turnovers than we did. They were just hitting their shots. Yeah, the problem is, I mean, we, our, our basketball team has really been relying on our ability to, to haul in offensive rebounds and get putbacks. And, you know, the fact that, you know, we lost, I think that the reason we lost this game in large part was because we only out-rebounded them by five. And, you know, you can look at them at, that, that is saying, okay, well, we did out-rebound them by five. But, I mean thing is, we have not been shooting well enough the last few games, and we really rely on those offensive rebounds. And, I mean, you can't really blame MSU for not getting more rebounds. I mean, the fact was is that our guards were playing so close to the perimeter because, they. I mean, we had to defend against the three-point shot, and so our guards who have been so good at rebounding the last two games weren't able to help in and, and grab those boards. And so, and then with Raymar being out with walking pneumonia. So-called I mean, walking pneumonia. Well, we're not... No, it, it is. We, is it? we uh, yeah, I actually just got back from practice before okay. I, I got here, and it is walking pneumonia, and he's going to be out all week. Um, Izzo says. I mean, the, there, there's still a chance he he might play Wednesday, and might play Saturday against Indiana, but Izzo said he is going to try to shut him down. He did not practice today. Um, it wasn't dressed, and so well, he was dressed, just not in in, in basketball practice. He's in street attire. clothes, dressed. In and so the fact clothes. that his six eight presence wasn't there to haul in offensive rebounds, I think, was also a detriment to our cause. Yeah, I mean, Raymar played three minutes on the game. He came in with about six forty three left, I think. And Izzo said in the press conference after the game that he sent him in there 
he felt bad sending him in, but he said he had to have somebody who knew how to set a pick. So he was, coach was just frustrated the whole time, and it just just wasn't our night. And I mean, I don't know what it's gonna take. Pavel was joking around, or somebody was joking around that maybe we just need to. Oh, it's my buddy Phil. He's like, maybe we need to suit up in green jerseys at home. Maybe yeah. that's the case. I was like, because it's it's scary. I mean, Minnesota comes in here on Wednesday. We have two home games. I mean, we were we were talking. I kind of just sarcastically was joking, talking Indiana. They're winless in the Big Ten. They're they're just struggling. I mean, they everybody knew it. They have a bunch of walk-ons starting for them. They're a bunch of scrappy players. They try hard, but it's just not the skill there to compete in the Big Ten. They they come in on Saturday, and I was saying, well, it's at home, so who knows? We might be able to lose. They might be able to win, but Minnesota will definitely be a lot tougher at home on Wednesday. They just got done taking it to Illinois. They beat them fifty-nine to thirty-six. I mean, you see thirty-six points, and it's just embarrassing. We've had we've seen that number yeah, a few I times for good. us. But beating Illinois, who was on fire, then and the good thing is we already have beaten Minnesota. We beat them seventy to fifty-eight back in the barn in Minneapolis to start the Big Ten season. Kalen Lucas had 24 then. Hopefully uh, the Izone will come ready to cheer on our team. Hopefully they're not getting too down after these two straight losses. I know I was. It was just so frustrating to sit there and watch these games. They were so similar, Northwestern and Penn State. It's just not a good feeling that I had watching that. It's it's tough. And, I'm, I mean, I know that it's ten times worse for the players and 100 times worse for all the coaches than what they're going through. And it's just not fun. The good thing, we're still 7-2 and two in the Big Ten. We've got a half-game lead on Purdue. Bad thing, Purdue's won six in a row. Mm-hmm. They lost their they're first two. They're, right they are hot. And that's without even having Robbie Hummel at full strength. He's still got a bad back. And they just beat Michigan. Now, there's a play in that. I'm not sure if you saw that the game. The Manny Harris the elbow. The Manny Harris yeah. elbow. Now, I watched that. I saw it. And... I agreed with the flagrant foul. The ejection, I'm not so sure about, but it was funny. I went later that night. I was playing Call of Duty online, <laughs> Xbox Live, nice. fun okay. stuff, playing with two friends who graduated from U of M. So, of course, they were just complaining that he, there's no way he should have been ejected. And they were arguing with me, that saying I'm just a state fan, and that's why I think that it was – I don't think it was intentional, but it definitely wasn't unintentional if that if it's possible he meant to clear some space but i don't think he meant to bust kramer's nose yeah i I, i'd agree with that 100 percent. i don't think manny harris is really a dirty player and i don't think in a game against a team like purdue you could really afford to do something like that but you know as as a player a a big player you want you want to clear space and sometimes a player will use his elbow to clear space and i think he just maybe extended a little bit too much and you know kramer's nose was at the wrong place at the right at the wrong time and so um, stuff like that happens, and I'm not really sure um, a flagrant was called for, but, you know. And then they did eject him, which I don't agree with. Yeah, I, yeah, I don't think an, that's what I meant. I don't think an ejection was yeah. called for. A flagrant was okay, but an ejection was yeah, a little I mean, out of line. Ejections are for if you take a punch at somebody yeah. or if you do what Novak, their, Zach Novak, their forward, did against Ohio State, where he blatantly elbowed P.J. Hill from Ohio State in the face. He got ejected two straight games now. 
player from Michigan's been ejected yeah. for elbowing someone in the face. You don't, you don't really think a, a John Beeline team would be like that. And I just again, I think that Manny Harris elbow incident sets a bad precedent for the league that really thrives on its gritty play and you know its, its physicality. And I'm not really, I, I just really do not agree with that. Even as a Michigan State fan who does enjoy it when Michigan loses or when who does kind of guess enjoy when Michigan faces uh, you know a miserable situation. I, I I still thought that was a little unreasonable. And and I could see. Being a former basketball player, I could understand exactly why Manny Harris would have done it. I've gone up against kids like Chris Kramer, who are just annoying. They're pests. He's the defensive player of the year last year, and he plays an in-your-face style. He's all over everybody. I mean, he's just like Travis Walton. I mean, annoying to play against. There's no way around it. They're physical. They'll bump you. They're always in the way. And he was playing way up on him. And, I mean, I don't ever condone elbowing somebody in the face, but I can see why I would do it. The other thing to think about is down at the other end, Harris had been complaining about not getting a foul called on the entire last possession. So I think the refs thought about that a little bit, seeing how he was complaining and thought maybe that he was taking it upon himself to do it. Now, Novak got suspended for a game. I haven't heard anything yet about Harris. I don't think anything will happen from that because... He already got ejected from that game. Yes, he did break Kramer's nose, but I don't believe it was really intentional. There's no malice behind his actions. It was just unfortunate timing, a little extension on the elbow, a little extension on that move, but still, you know, I don't think it was that bad. I think there's probably a lot of state fans who think he should be suspended, just kind of want because yeah. he's from U of M. I think Michigan was actually up when Banny Harris um, was ejected from they that were. game also. They were and the so they lost. So I think that's punishment enough, the fact that when he, you know, when he goes out of the game, he's the glue, he's the, the catalyst for that offense. And so when he went out, I mean, that's that, that's like being eject, being ejected for an entire game. And, and Purdue went on a 27-7 to run after that. And they just came away with an easy win there. Now, new rankings come out came out today. We have a new number one for another week, three weeks in a row now, and UConn is the number one team in the nation, and of course Duke lost to Wake Forest shortly after they were named number one, a great finish, which happened so long ago, it's not relevant anymore really, it was a great play by uh, Johnson, an inbounds play with two seconds left, I mean, it's happened i think what tuesday monday uh, no it was, was wednesday that was, wednesday, a, that was wednesday yeah but i mean that was a great play now yukon is and an underdog they're number one they play number five louisville on the road so we could very well have the number one team in the nation lose again i think they will lose <laughs> louisville has been probably the best team in the country the last couple of weeks i mean earl clark terrence williams jerry smith in in Samardo samuels a freshman center that team is really clicking in all cylinders and you know, like all good um, Patino teams do, they're clicking at the right time. Oh yeah. Later in the Big East season, and they're five and zero, I believe. They're just completely running that table, and I think they're going to beat UConn tonight. And I think by the end of the regular season, I don't know if Louisville, but will be the number one team in the country because the Big East is so grueling. But Louisville will be right up there. That's a, it's a it's a terrific team, and if UConn goes into Louisville, a very hostile environment, and wins, then you know, give it up to them. I just don't see it happening. Yeah, and the thing is, if UConn's able to make it out of this game, the Big East is so tough in their schedule. Their next game is Michigan. Somehow that got thrown in there. Then they play Syracuse. They still have to play Pitt twice, Marquette, and Notre Dame. Which, now, Notre Dame 
they, along with Georgetown, very surprising. They've each lost now five in a row. They're both 12-8 and eight on the season. Both just dropped out of the top 25. They're both 3-6 and six in the conference. Now, Georgetown, they lost to Duke, West Virginia, Seton Hall, Cincinnati, and Marquette. Notre Dame, their losses are a little more acceptable. Their mm-hmm. losses, they've had tough games. Louisville, Syracuse, UConn, Marquette, and Pitt. Now, I look at those, and I'm just like, wow, that's... Five teams from the top ten that they lost to. I mean, that's that's tough to have those five games in a row. I can see them losing that. It's not too surprising. Now, if UConn does lose, Louisville could take the number one spot, but most likely it will be Oklahoma. So they have a new number one there. North Carolina is back up to number three. Duke dropped to number four. We didn't drop that far. We dropped from number nine to number 13. Not bad. Purdue actually jumped ahead of us. They're respecting their everybody knows that they're on fire now. Here I'll look try to find Louisville's schedule coming up here. But one of the more surprising things is Penn State. They're number twenty nine. Now I asked you before we came on, but get your opinion so everybody can hear. Do you think Penn State's gonna make the uh NCAA tournament? Yeah, I I really do. I think their resume right now is, is pretty impressive. They're they're six and three in the Big Ten right now. Their non-conference schedule wasn't that difficult, and so I'm sure that will be taken into consideration. But just based on what they've been able to do so far in the conference, and you know, you never know what's going to happen down the stretch. But I, I, I have said all along, I think Penn State is a legitimate team. I think Taylor Battle's a terrific point guard. Cornley gives him a threat inside. Stanley Pringle's another threat on the perimeter, and their their bench keeps on improving. Guys like Chris Babb are stepping up and and playing pretty well, and Danny Morrissey. Um, they've they've got and they've threats. got another big guy, Andrew Brown. Yeah, he and a- Andrew up. Brown. They've they've got they've got and uh, forgot what's his name. Another another player, one of the guards, hit a big three near the end of the half against Michigan State. First half. Uh, they they've got a great team. Not a great team. I'm sorry, a good team. They've got a good team, and I think they will make the tournament. I think they'll probably be the the, the finish fourth in the Big Ten, and I think they will make the tournament. I think the Big Ten will send five or six teams to the tournament this year, and I think that team will definitely sneak in there. Now, who would those five be? Because we have Michigan State's number is in first in the Big Ten. Purdue's a half game back. Then you have Illinois, Minnesota, Minnesota and Penn State all tied one game behind us. So you've got those five. You have, who was the other one? You're adding Ohio well, State in? Yeah, I, I think Ohio State, once David Lighty comes back, is going to kind of round out that group. And Evan Turner's been playing so well. And, and that big center, B.J. Mullins, the number one recruit in the country in 2008, keeps on getting better. And so I think Ohio State will make the tournament. I think they'll do pretty well down the stretch. And I still think that Michigan will make the NCAA tournament despite the recent struggles. Uh, Michigan's schedule is, uh, I mean, I'd have to look it up. But based on what they did during the non-conference schedule where they beat UCLA, they beat Duke, which right now is number four in the country, and that cannot be taken lightly. They can Those still beat UConn, number one. I mean, what they're gonna, yeah, what they're gonna have is, is teams on their resume that that other teams do not have, and that could separate them. They're still, I believe, in the RPA top fifty, and they've beaten a lot of teams that are in the RPI top fifty, and that kind of stuff all goes into effect. Um, you know, when the when when the selection crew decides on which teams play in the NCAA tournament, and those non-conference wins weigh a little bit heavier than other things, and you know, we'll we'll see what happens. So I think uh, Michigan State, Illinois, Purdue, Michigan, Ohio State, and Minnesota. So right now I've got six teams. I think Wisconsin. 
I mean, everyone thought before the season they were going to be there, but I mean, I re- and I, I'm sorry, Penn State also, I think, if I didn't mention them before. So maybe there will be seven, but, um, you know, it's, I don't know, we'll, we'll see what happens with Michigan. I think they've got a chance. Now now maybe I'm contradicting my own argument here <laughs> by naming all those teams, and I don't know if Big Ten will get seven, but I think they're still in the running, that's for sure. And it all depends also on the tournament. I mean, whoever wins that gets in automatically. You never know. Yeah. Have a Cinderella go through hey, that. Yeah, you could. I mean, there, there's some know. depth in the Big Ten this year. And a team like Northwestern could catch fire, and, and they could, you know, run the table and make the Big Ten and, and win the Big Ten tournament. It's You never know. Exactly. They're 12-7 and seven right now, looking tough. Glad They've got big wins over us, uh, Minnesota, and Wisconsin. Running out of time here. We're just about to kick it up to the Jazz Spectrum. In just a second, I want to mention... I went on Friday, watched my first ever college wrestling match live. I saw Michigan State beat number 17 in the nation, Wisconsin. It was a great match. Uh, it came down to the very last match there at 149. David Chezza, a redshirt freshman, pinned his opponent to win, uh, won the won the meet. It was the first, first win in the Big Ten for Michigan State. They go up against Iowa, number one in the nation on Friday. Get to see the best college wrestler Probably ever, Brett Metcalf from Iowa should be great. We got other games, big game coming up on Wednesday. Alex, thank you for coming by. It was again. a pleasure. And for those of you who haven't checked out his stuff for the state news, should pick up a copy of that or go online. Probably read it. Alex Altman, the men's basketball reporter for the state news, and I'm Scott, your host of the Spartan Sports Rep. You've been listening to us here on the Impact. Thank you. Tune in next week. You've been listening to the Spartan Sports Wrap on Impact Exposure. Tune in every week for more of the greatest sports information, news, and analysis. Here and only here on Impact 89FM.